Hello and welcome to Shattered Lives, I'm Kieran Bradley. Today we return to the murder trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch taking place at the Special Criminal Court in Dublin. Mr Hutch is accused of the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel in Dublin in February 2016. Mr Hutch denies the charge. Two men, Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney, are also facing charges of facilitating the murder of Mr Byrne by providing vehicles. Both men deny the charges. When we last heard from the Special Criminal Court, the judges were considering applications from Mr Hutch's legal team in relation to the audio evidence heard in court, purported to be Mr Hutch in conversation with Jonathan Dowdle. Mr Dowdle has pleaded guilty to facilitating the murder of Mr Byrne. To discuss today's proceedings, I'm joined by Michael O'Toole, crime correspondent with the Irish Daily Star. Mick, how are you doing? Hello, Kieran. So Mick, we've often used the phrase a dramatic day at the Special Criminal Court, but today certainly justified that moniker. Um, just as a brief recap before we go into exactly what went on today, you might just give us a sense of uh, what it was that the defence were taking issue with and what led us to this point today. Okay, so there was a, a, a legal challenge by the defence against the admissibility of the surveillance tapes, either in their entirety or in relation to the, the eight hours or whatever, on the 7th of March into the 10th, 8th of March in 2016 between Ger- Jonathan Dowdall and Jared Hutch. We know that they... Jared uh, Hutch got into Jonathan Dowdle's car in Dublin, they drove up north, had lots of conversations which were all played out and then came back. So the defence didn't, obviously their angle was they didn't want the tapes admitted into evidence, even though they've already been played in court. The judges, interestingly today, when they started giving the judge, Miss Justice Tara Burns said, you know, because it was sort of a stream of consciousness thing, she, was, she said at the start, look... If I make a decision and evidence is excluded, we are professional judges and we will be able to disregard any evidence that we have heard already that we decide to be excluded. And uh, Miss Justice Burns said, and the defence has accepted that. So Brendan Gren, senior counsel, accepts that, you know, you know, just say we know what happened, but just say the scenario was that all the uh, surveillance evidence, all the tapes was ruled out of order by the judges. The defence was happy that Miss Justice Tara Burns and her two colleagues would have Wipe that from their mind effectively because so some people were asking me on Twitter can stuff be unheard in court it can't be unheard but the judges were very clear about this we were professional judges we will listen to what we have to listen to but we will take into account what we have to take into account but anyway so the the the, the defence the prosecution obviously wants the tapes to be brought into evidence the defence obviously wanted them to be excluded from evidence and there were sort of four main points or four main angles of attack by Brendan Gaines senior counsel for uh, Jared Hutch the first one was, we know that uh, William Johnson, who was the f- detective superintendent of William Johnson, now retired, who was the head of the National Surveillance Unit, who applied in Mo- uh, March 2016. He applied for legal permission for a warrant, effectively, to for the National Surveillance Unit officers to fit a surveillance bug to Jonathan Dowdall's car. And he had to swear a note. So there was one challenge to that, that the that that wasn't legal. The next challenge was that the authorisation wasn't legal because there was a lack of candour. Uh, that was the phrase used, that there was a lack of candour by Guardi when they were applying for the warrant. The third uh, tr- uh, leg, I suppose, was the extraterritorial issue. In other words, the defence were claiming that they are arguing that the uh, northern element of the tapes should not be admitted in the evidence because they were outside the jurisdiction or with the so-called extraterritorial ter- aspect. And the final leg of the defence was that the the list the, the listening to the, the, the surveillance tape, the act of surveillance on Jared Hutch was a breach of his privacy. So there were four ways, I suppose, that the defence were trying to get the the evidence ruled inadmissible and the judge went through them all today. 
Okay, so there's effectively four legs to the defence's claims here. You might just bring us through, I suppose, one by one, what the judges' decisions were on each of them and what the justifications were, uh, just for clarity's sake. Essentially, I'll take the first one and the second one, the one about the oath and the one about the valid authorisation together, because they fit well together and they were sort of really minor compared to the other big two. But essentially, she ruled uh, against the defence for their application. She, what has to happen when there is a uh, an application for a surveillance bug to be fitted, uh, a, super, a senior officer in the NSU has to go to a district court judge and and swear on oath that they need this, you know, the bug fitted for the gathering of intelligence. So the judge ruled that the oath was legal and that there was no problem with that. It was, it was I thought it was quite a minor thing. It was maybe a, a technical thing. Obviously, the defence, you know, can do what they want, but it really wasn't the biggest issue for me. The next one was valid authorisation. In other words, the defence were argue, arguing that the permission that was given by the judge shouldn't have been given and they cited what they called the lack of candour and there's a couple of examples of that. Firstly, they were raising the point that we know that a few days before the, the surveillance bug was fitted, we noted that a tracker was fitted to Jonathan Dowdall's car. Now that, in the application to the judge for the, the warrant, uh, that was not mentioned in the application. And the defence raised an issue of this saying, look, there was a lack of candour. Why did they not mention that they already mm. fitted a tracking device? And another issue was, why was it not said that this car, which we know was based in Dublin, might be going up north? Because we know that there'd been there'd been surveillance on Jonathan Doyle since January, you know, before the, uh, the Regency attack itself, which was the, at the start of February. But the judge again didn't really take to that. She said, look, judge, uh, essentially... Judge, you know, tech guardy can't be mind readers. They can't get into the realms of speculation. They wanted to fit a bug, and how were they? They didn't know where the the car would go. And they also said, look, you know, the the this was a, an application for a bug to be fitted. It had nothing to do with the tracking device. So the judge made a quite a, a, a strong statement there that the tracking device, which was already fitted, was completely different to this, and they were two separate things. So she got sort of, I sort of viewed them as the preliminary things that there were. You know, they weren't the strongest weapons that the defence had mm. in their armoury. But then we come on to number three, which is the real biggie, which is the whole issue of Guardi getting evidence extraterritorial. So in other words, out of the jurisdiction. And this was mm. this is when it really, really, really uh, got interesting. Essentially, the defence said that 2009 surveillance act, surveillance act is very, very clear about this. Surveillance can only happen lawfully in the Republic of Ireland. So once you go outside the jurisdiction, it's unlawful. And so essentially what the judge said was that it was legal for under the Act for the surveillance to take place in the Republic. So between Dublin and Dundalk and the border there and, and RD, or and there they were, were, were across into Northern Ireland. But she made a, 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 mm. a separate ruling, I suppose, on the Northern stuff. And she said that was essentially illegal. She said, look, the Surveillance Act was very clear about this. This says that, that the, the Act says that surveillance can only be carried out in, this, in the Republic inside this jurisdiction. And she said she was not satisfied that a, a surveillance bug can gather evidence legally outside the jurisdiction. And then she made this point, because it doesn't say anything in the, in the, in the Act about uh, she said uh, foreign, but obviously outside the jurisdiction. She said there's nothing in the in, nothing in the act about Gardy being able to perform surveillance outside the state. And she said, had the legislature meant for listening devices to operate extraterritorially, it would have said so. So there was nothing in the act that covered that. So she essentially said that the uh, uh, the, the 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 stuff the, the the recording in Northern Ireland was illegal. 
Right, and we all got very excited about that because we thought it was game over. Because she did say that, look, the evidence gathered in the South is admissible. The, and then she said, the unlawful recording in the North does not taint the recording in this jurisdiction, right? So we thought, okay, so what's going to happen is the judge is going to come along and say, the guards can have the evidence or the, the, the prosecution can have the evidence garnered in the Republic, but the evidence garnered in the North is ruled out. So, you know, uh, it was a bit of a shock because we thought that that's it, that was game over. But we'll talk about this uh, in a wee while because there was a, a twist in the tail. But the fourth leg, I suppose, was the breach of privacy. As as, as I said, Mr. Hodge claimed through his defence team that the surveillance in him breached his privacy. Now, she said that Miss Justice Tara Burns said a couple of uh, interesting things. Firstly, I think this is the first time the judges said this, that she said the conversation was between Jonathan Dowdall and Jared Hutch. Mm. So the judges said that and she said that's not in dispute, which I thought was an interesting thing, which probably went under the radar a wee bit with, uh, because of what was happening. But then, interestingly, she said, now she said, I'm not getting into the specifics of what is going to happen and how the judges are going to decide what's probative. In other words, what, you know, what is evidence against Mr. Hutch and Mr. Dowdall. But she did say that Jonathan Dowdall and Jared Hutch were in a general way discussing criminality in the tapes and again I want to stress this because this is very important she's not getting into the specifics about what they were talking about you know it's the state's case that they were talking about one thing she's not getting into that that's for a decision by the three judges at a later date but it was significant that she said in a general way they were discussing criminality so then she said privacy cannot be breached when it comes to criminality. So in other words, you don't have any rights for privacy when you are uh, involved in criminality, criminality, as the judges said. Uh, The judge said that Mr. Hutch was discussing criminality with with, uh, Jonathan Dowdall. So that was all very, very interesting. So I was sitting there and I was expecting the whole ruling about, okay, here's the story. Uh, The Northern stuff is illegal and it's going to be excluded. So that was all very interesting. So there are the four pillars of the defence and there was a big win for the defence about the admissibility of evidence garnered in Northern Ireland. The judge said it was unlawful. But and to stress, she said, that does not taint the legality of this of the evidence gathered in the South. So what we were expecting was, okay, that's, okay, you can have the Southern evidence, you can't have the Northern evidence. But then the judge made another ruling and another finding and she used the phrase mala fides. So essentially what she meant was there was she accepted the, that the guards did act unlawfully, but crucially, she there was no malice or the guards did not realise it was unlawful. They were they thought they were acting within the law. And there is a section of the law that says if the guards, you know, unintentionally, shall we say, veer off the law, then that the evidence can be accepted. And she decided that essentially the guards did act in good faith, even though it was illegal and the northern evidence will be admitted. And that was seismic because we were expecting it completely the other way. And it was just, whoa. So that was a real shocker. And, you know, I know you used the word dramatic at the start of the pod. You're 100% right, Kieran. This was a really dramatic moment. Mate, breathe, first of all. That was that was a lot to go through. So <laughs> thanks, Mill, for that. Now, um, look, obviously, this is, this is a lot to take in. and People have a lot of questions. I think what's worth us reiterating to, well, myself as a presenter and, and listeners on the show is that obviously all of this evidence needs to be taken in the round. We need to defer to the fact that uh, the the judges in this case are extremely practiced legal professionals and they know in the ins and outs of this law uh, a, a lot better than we do. Um, can I just get a sense, like, you're, you're kind of our eyes and ears in the court. Um, th- th- this was obviously a, a, a well... Um, 
an expected decision but obviously it's it's one on which a lot of people feel the the case might might hinge um what was the reaction in the court and the kind of whites the eyes of the defense team prosecution general gallery etc well you see brendan Graham, who's who's mr hutch's senior counsel he's one of the he really is one of the the the, the most eminent barristers in the country so you know these people don't do a Rita Hayworth and throw their hands up in the air okay oh my god so they're professional people so look there was there was silence in the courtroom um you know <laughs> I, I will say it, the, the, the people who probably showed the most reaction were us hacks because it was like Jesus right but you know because we just didn't see it coming because when the judge said northern stuff is illegal I went okay Shanae game over but obviously you know I mean, there, I mean and this was said to me and I, I, I mean I, I did know about this on reflection, there was a, a a ruling in 2015 in another court case. So it sets a precedent that, look, basically, um, Gardaí can, there are instances when Gardaí, who unknowingly break the law, can do so without malafides. So the court can take that into account and say, well, look, the guards thought they were doing the right thing or thought they were acting within the law. So, so it is admissible. So, look, you know, that's just the law. I mean, that's just the way it is. But it came as a, a shock to us, but you know, uh, experienced people like you know the the barristers and all don't don't really do surprise. So look, there was there was nothing really in the in the, in the courtroom. It was just it was very quiet. But Mister Graham did say afterwards. Mister Graham did say afterwards. Look, Judge, can I rise? Because can we rise for it? You know, for for about ten minutes because he wanted to discuss it with Jared Hutch. So they did go in to an ante room. And they had a, a legal consultation and that's obviously confidential. So we weren't there. So who knows what was said, but they came out and, you know, I mean, that's basically it. But what, what, what happened transpired after that was that they're moving on to the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall. So we know that Jonathan Dowdall has agreed to give the state's evidence in this. He is currently being assessed for the witness security program. We don't know if it's been accepted or not, but he's been assessed for it. But so next week, uh, Brendan Graham did say that there's going to be an application or legal argument, a more legal argument about the evidence of Jonathan Dowdle. So he said, there obviously, there's obviously going to be a challenge to Jonathan Dowdle giving evidence. So he said he's going to call several serving an ex-Gardaí as witnesses, including Paul Scott, who was the detective superintendent in charge of the case, but he's now retired. And then he's going to call Detective Sergeant Patrick O'Toole, who is currently one of the senior officers in the case. So he said that, uh, that submission or that legal argument, I suppose, will last for probably two days next week. Now, it's up to the judges. They could give them a, a decision within a couple of minutes, but experience would tell you that they're going to go away and, and think about it and come back with a ruling like we did. You know, for example, we knew that there were there was a few days where the judges were considering the submissions about the, the bugging uh, device. So that took a few days. So look, you know, it's up to the judges. It's very much up to them. They will give a decision. But we're back on Monday at 11 o'clock when there's going to be legal argument about whether or not Jonathan Dowdle's evidence should be admitted. In other words, he should be allowed to give evidence. So that's another uh, interesting element that there will be. And that, that will, as I said, that will be that would probably take up most of next week because there's the argument and then there's the consideration by the judges and then there's the ruling. So, look, you know, it's not for me to say, but. I wouldn't be surprised if if Dowdle, who is the next step witness, if it's pushed back to not next week but the week after. But it's up to the judges. But it is it is uh, we are now in a really really interesting phase. Obviously, Dowdle's evidence, if he is allowed, is going to be box office. But even today, you know, I thought it was very dramatic and a very very interesting uh, ju- judgment. And just you know, 
it was it was it was really really interesting yeah it kind of feels like act one is has closed on on the on the case as it is if we're looking at it in that way and just uh on a, on a side point obviously i realize that the the discussions around adel will be going on next week but is there uh, do we know whether he would be physically in court if he was to give evidence oh that's a very good question i would be surprised if he wasn't um I have seen people giving evidence remotely, but um, that was that there was a case a lady giving evidence from America. So I would be surprised if he didn't give evidence. No, no. I mean, essentially, he'll have to be in the courtroom. Really, I mean, I'd be shocked and stunned if he didn't. So there was just one other issue we might just talk about very, 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 very briefly. It's it 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 was just essentially um we we talked about the technical difficulties of journalists covering the audio case because it's really really hard to keep up with it and today our colleagues in media house who run the uh, control the irish independent made an application lewis mooney bl uh, made an application to the the judges for the transcript of the bugging of the evidence of the bugging from the bugging device to be made available to journalists so uh, and you know look they're, they're entitled to do what they want um but miss Mr. Graham, Sean Galan for the prosecution objected to it. He said, look, you know, we're done and dusted and there haven't been any complaints about the media. And you know what? It doesn't happen all that often, but there were, there were, there were uh, both the defence and the prosecution were co- quite complimentary of the media coverage. In other words, they said there were no massive boo-boos and it was a very, very stressful time. So the de- prosecution objected to it and the defence also objected to it. And Mr. Graham essentially said, look, you know, if there was going to be uh, an application like this, it should have been before the the tapes were played. So he said that ship is sealed. So uh, Miss Justice Tara Burns is going to come back. She told uh, Mr. Mooney, BL, there won't be a decision now. They're going to come back on Monday at 11 o'clock. And, you know, so we'll know if all the transcripts will be released. But the, the prosecution and defence both made the point the evidence has been heard already. So we'll see what the judges say. Yeah, well, it's very rare that we get a little pat on the back these days, so we'll take it where we're, where they come. Um, and, and just thought, I, I had a couple of kind of questions in relation to what I'm seeing, as, as I say, as a complete ignoramus. The, the idea to me, as a, again, a complete layman, that the, the recordings would be heard and then the admissibility of them would be ruled on seems slightly odd. And I'm not, I'm not presuming that this is any way out of order at all, but it's literally, it, it, is that... Was there any sense of what, why that was allowed? Because you presume that like the, with the GPS tracking and the evidence the guards have uh, in terms of where stuff was at this point, you could have made a ruling on that beforehand. Was that was that kind of raised at all? Or No, no. I mean, we know that the defence didn't object to mm. the, the the evidence being heard first. And it, it is through the prism of, look, this is the special criminal court. There's no jury. I've been sat through hundreds of... of court cases where there is a jury and there's always plenty of, of legal argument and the jury's always kicked out and they don't get to hear about it and we're not allowed to touch it because you can only write what the jury see so we can only talk about the legal argument after a verdict so that's grand so it's through the prism of this is the special criminal court so it is a special court so it's not ordinary it's special so there was no look there was no big drama about that it you know things do happen in the special court even like even the we're allowed to, to write about the legal argument so even you know the legal argument about should the tapes be allowed into evidence and all that sort of stuff it's no problem so it's not a biggie but i, I see where you're coming from because you know it does seem quite strange but it's it's normal for the special shall we say 
Yeah, no, it, it's just really interesting because I think with, with this case, we're getting a bit more of a, an understanding of the general toings and froings of the legal arguments that maybe we don't see in real time in, in other jury cases. So it's quite interesting. Um, but Mick, like, to, to kind of round off for the day, is there, you know, without wishing to speculate in any sense, but is there a sense in your mind of kind of what this means? Is this a bit of a fork in the road for the case in your mind? Or, you know, obviously I realise there's still a lot of evidence to come. Um, how can I put this? If the judge had decided that the northern elements of the... Well, she did decide they were illegal, but she decided to admit them because she believed, said Guardy. She found that Guardy writing in good faith, as we've explained. But if the judge had uh, excluded that evidence, as we thought was going to happen when she said they were illegal, then that made the prosecution case much more difficult. I think, the, I'll put it this way, I think the prosecution will, team will be much happier than the defence team this evening. Yeah, very good. Well, you know, I'm sure that's the case. Um, listen, Mick, you, you've you've had a, a day of frantic typing, so you can go home on a Friday evening and put those hands in a, a bath of ice or whatever it is you do. Um, but listen, thank you very much for, for your time today. We're all very appreciative of the, uh, the time and effort you put into it. And we'll be back to you next week with the information from the trial as it comes. Uh, obviously, it's a fairly key week by the sounds of it. Uh, and yeah, Mick, thanks a million. No problem. Thank you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, be sure to subscribe to Shattered Lives wherever you get your podcasts. We also have an extensive back catalogue of interviews which you may enjoy. Shattered Lives is produced by Kieran Bradley for Reach Ireland.